Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. In this episode, we sit down with Air Force Life Cycle Management Center Program Manager, Major Paul Weisgarber, and Procurement Contracting Officer, Noel Burke, to talk about their experience working on the Special Operations Command GHOST program. Major Weisgarber and Noel give insights into what the GHOST program is and the culture they experience there. They also share their advice to anyone thinking of applying for the program and what they learned that has shaped their perspective for future assignments in the Air Force. Welcome, Noel and Paul, to the podcast. Hey. Thanks for having us. For sure. All right, Noel, first question is for you. What is the GHOST program and where does it take place? Yeah, so uh, the GHOST program has been around for about 15 years and it takes place down at SOCOM, which is Special Operations uh, Command, uh, down at MacDill Air Force Base. It's a four-month deployment, and so it it looks a little differently between the military and the civilian world, but there are military and civilian ghosts that go down for four months. It's a deployment experience, and you are really, you're going down there to, uh, to learn these you know, soft special operations forces, that culture, the principles, you're, you're rubbing shoulders with the users in a joint environment. I know, uh, you know, I've been around right Pat, my most of my career, other than uh, this deployment and a, and a OCONUS deployment uh, in my past. But you, uh, you don't always get to rub shoulders with the user and, and talk with them. Whereas when you go down there, that you know, the user is an integral part of the IPT, and it's a much smaller, flatter uh, organization and team that you're, you're working with. And so you might be supporting uh, someone who's deployed on the other side of the world saying, I need this capability right now to, to finish my mission. And so you're, you're supporting those, those people. And it's really a, it's, to broaden your experience. Uh, you go down there, not because you've done all the soft stuff, but so that you can learn as a junior acquirer, they're really looking for those, those junior folks less, you know, 10 years or less. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're really desiring to help mold the, the next set of leaders in the air force. And so when you get down there, you, you know, you, one of the first things you do is you get access to senior leaders as, as mentors. You, you get to talk with the acquisition executive of SOCOM. You get to get uh, full detail calendar access to his, uh, his calendar as well as other SESs. And if they have a really unique or interesting meeting that's going on as a ghost, you can just say, hey, sir, ma'am, I'd really like to attend that meeting. And they say, sure, come on. Uh, learn experience and so it's it's really great uh, to go down there you get stretched you you learn to do things in a different way and i know we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the differences but uh you know that that's really what they're looking for and then they're also looking for 
um, once you leave the ghost program and you go back, um, how can you use those experiences, those broadened experiences and skills to go execute the mission back home? Yeah, and I think what what I would add, Amber, real quick, is just from the, the PEO's perspective at SOCOM right now, it's this program is is to be the premier program for junior acquisition professionals, right? To let them do exactly what Noel just described, immerse themselves in all of the tactics and tools and procedures, uh, all the policies that, that are used at SOCOM, and then bring that home to their home unit, let that percolate throughout their their own program offices and contracting offices, and then leverage those those best practices that that folks are using at SOCOM at their home station and, and just let that permeate throughout the Air Force and, and eventually the Space Force as well. That's great. So I think that's a good segue, Paul, into the next question. Can you talk about the culture you experienced in the GHOST program? Yeah, so I think that's, that's such a great question because this is I think in, in our opinion, Noel and myself, probably what what is invaluable about the experience is immersing yourself in that culture. And I think the best way to answer that might be to, to set up what our expectations were going into it. And a lot of ghosts, I think, feel the same way. Uh, when you hear about SOCOM or just any rapid acquisition program office, you typically, at least we have this uh, preconceived notion of it's the Wild West, right? They're doing things uh, very fast and, and at times maybe on that line of unethical or illegal. Uh, but down there, it's it's anything but that. Right? They still have the same uh, Department of Defense directives, the 5000 series. They have the same financial acquisition regulation FAR. They have the same financial management uh, management regulation FMR guidelines that that we have to use down there. So they're not they're not playing under a different playbook, if you will. It's all the same rules and regulations. But uh, the, the big MO of, of SOCOM is to tailor every single project accordingly and appropriately. And they do that through a couple of different ways that, that really, again, kind of just um, shows itself through its culture. First, it's, it's a very flat organization. There's um, the, the Milestone Decision Authority, the MDA, for nearly all the programs at SOCOM is down at the 06, the, the kernel level, the PEO level. And um, he or she oftentimes drives the, the decisions down to, to the lowest levels. And one great quote that Colonel Kibler likes to use is he likes to have a very close proximity to the decision maker, meaning um, if, it's a, if it's a decision that can be made by that lieutenant or by that GS9 or 11 or 12, he is going to empower that person to make that decision and uh, he will support you in that. And so it's, it's fun to see everything that you read about or learn about in a DAU course or a textbook about flat organizations. It's really fun to see that being a practice down there. And uh, it, 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 it does wonders to, to an organizational culture. And then the second thing is just the overall emphasis on schedule. That is, as Noel mentioned, getting uh, users and, and operators capability as quickly as possible. And, and it kind of has this mindset of let's get an 80% solution today or tonight out to that field or to that operator versus the 100% solution tomorrow or next week. And, and again, this permeates throughout the organization. Users know that their capabilities are going to iterate. Uh, they're, they're not going to get the gold-plated solution right away, but they're going to get something. They're going to do some great things around the world with that capability because we've emphasized schedule and, and prioritized that through KPPs and KSAs, key performance parameters, key system attributes. These are things that are really important to the government, time to field and, and getting uh, capability out to the warfighter as soon as possible. So I think at, at, 
at least from my experience, those are what manifested themselves in the culture of SOCOM. And, and I'm sure Noel has a couple others as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one difference and then I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples because I, I can almost anticipate, you know, the person listening to this podcast thinking, oh, that's nice, but I work in such and such office and that's never going to happen. Uh, so yeah, sure is nice pie in the sky ideas, but um, you know, when you look at the uh, big air force, if I have to go to the head of the contracting activity, the HCA for some approval for something in my acquisition, that's going all the way to general Holt or whoever the next person is going to be uh, in DC. And so there's a lot of levels of review and a lot of people are looking at it. When I was down at ghost and I wanted to talk to the HCA, I literally stood up from my cubicle. I looked to the left and about 60 feet away was the office of the HCA for SOCOM. And so I could just go in and say, hey, sir, uh, you know, what can, uh, I'd like to talk to you about this circumstance. Colonel Obergfella, who's now up at Wright-Pat, uh, he was the HCA when I was down there. Um, and uh, it was a great opportunity. It was a much flatter rather than all the different levels and layers. But a couple of examples, uh, just so you, uh, you can appreciate this, but uh, I was handed a, uh, a requirement for the MQ-9 for the soft, unique platform specifically. And they said, hey, we need this awarded yesterday and we don't have time to run this. So here goes, run with this and, and go do it. And uh, oh, by the way, the PEO is, this is a hot priority for him and he's going to be checking in on you constantly. And so in a matter of 52 days, I was able to run a $28 million proposal to award. Uh, we shaved off several million dollars and we accelerated the, the delivery schedule by five months. So, you know, that's a, an example not to point out to me, this is just what happens at Ghost. So, uh, you know, those, that kind of experience where they give you that responsibility and they say, we trust you to go execute this and go do good things for SOCOM. Another example was there was a $145 million OTA that they were looking to uh, negotiate. Unfortunately, there was this really, really aggressive award schedule that uh, someone above said, hey, let's get this done uh, yesterday. And so myself and uh, two other ghosts, uh, we volunteered and said, hey, can we negotiate that for you? So in a few days, less than a week, we were able to price and negotiate and get a handshake on $145 million OTA. And so they, they put the responsibility uh, in our hands and let us run and experience that. And it was a fantastic experience. So uh, those are just two examples that I think uh, are helpful in giving you a perspective of, you know, what you might be doing at, at Ghost. Yeah, I appreciate that, Noel. Yeah, I think it's the examples are helpful because like you said, people are thinking, well, that's a totally different situation than what I'm in every day. And that's just not the way it works around here. But I guess even and this kind of question is to both of you is in those situations, what what was different? And just some of the things that I picked off from your answer, it sounded like, you know, the expectations were set that, hey, this we're going after this and we're going to do it. And everybody's on board with that as well as it sounded like you had the the bandwidth, and I'm not saying bandwidth as far as like you had all day, every day to work on that particular requirement, but you had the bandwidth of like, I can go talk to the people that I need to talk to in a expedited manner. And we all understand what we're trying to do um, to make that happen. And so if you could talk to that, but also anything else that you think 
would be helpful for the teams listening to say, hey, maybe these are areas where I can go um, work with my IPT um, team to figure out if we can do this out on our end a little better or work with my leadership to say, hey, if we set these expectations in place that we're all working to the same sheet of music, maybe we can make this go a little faster or make sure it's getting out to our requirements owners faster. Yeah, that, that's a, that is a really great question. And I, so I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this, Paul, on chain of command. But from my perspective, when when they delegate down decisions to the lower levels, and I know, you know, obviously I have a right pad experience. So I, I've been here for a while. Uh, so yeah. I can speak to that. I, I can't speak to, you know, Hanscom or, or other bases uh, that are that are large and, and major acquisition uh, hubs. But you know, I, I think the chain of command is is very important and followed, uh, and sometimes to our detriment, where it's oh well, we got to include this person, and then it's like we have all of these pre briefs in order to get to the decision authority. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's no dry runs that don't occur uh, at, down at SOCOM. I know uh, there were plenty that uh, the ghosts where we were briefing some senior leader and we would dry run it beforehand, but we would not do several iterations at various different levels mm -hmm. until we got to it. It was much faster because there was a, there was a trust there and, um, and they recognize we're all running in the same direction of, we need to get this delivered to the warfighter rather than did you, did you cross all of your T's and dot all of your I's in your file? It was more, are we getting what we need to the warfighter on time and, uh, and you know, what they need? I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on chain of command? Did you see a difference, Paul, when you were down there? No, I, I think that that hits the nail on the head. And the one word you used that I'd like to expand upon it was the trust, right? And, and there was the, the leaders of, of each individual program executive office or PEO really trusting their people. And it's easy just to say on a podcast, but we got to see it firsthand, right? The 06 Colonel Kibler, he trusted his 05s, his 04s, all the way down to the ghosts who were captains and, and GS 12s and 13s. Um, he, he trusted them that they were going to make the right decision because they were the, the trusted expert, not to use the word trust too many times, but they were the expert in their field. And when you have a leader or leaders with that mentality and, and, and letting that push down the organizational structure into a flat organization through their trust. I think that's how you, you enable that type of freedom and maneuver, right? You get that through the trust of your leaders and, and also the leaders trusting you to do the right thing. So that I think is the way I would summarize it. Again, the, the chain of command, you're, you're, you're spot on. It, it's important, but um, as long as you over communicate and, and keep he or she, your, your supervisor and their supervisor apprised of the situation, what I saw down there was was full autonomy, full full runway to, to make those key decisions at any point. Yeah, Paul, you really um, you picked up on the same word that I did, that when he said there was trust there, that really stood out to me as well. And and I think even just thinking about, you know, how we do business and all of that, but trust doesn't mean that nobody's ever going to fail. Like I don't trust people to never fail. It's that you're giving people the space and you understand that those people are really doing they're they're working with the best interests in mind of the air force of their customer of the team um, to get things done. And that it's, you know, nobody's trying to step out on, on purpose to, 
to do something they're not supposed to do. And so that really struck a chord with me as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's important to, to recognize that the FAR, it has its place. Uh, certainly, there are some things that, that work really well, but the FAR is not for rapid acquisitions. It's, it's really more of a system of compliance. Did you do this? Did you do? Did you check this box? Did you do that? Sometimes it's very value added what it asks us to do, but other times it's like, man, you know, I went through business clearance and I just got hammered for I didn't have this in my file, but it didn't necessarily help me get to the table, and it, and it doesn't necessarily benefit anybody. It's more just did you check that box? So again, don't want to throw the far under the bus completely. Maybe like on one side of the bus. But, you know, really having that, that mindset of what is in the actual best interest of the, the warfighter. You know, a lot of times as a contracting officer, we're writing, this is in the best interest of the government. But I think what's important here is, yes, that's true, but I'd really like to make that a little bit more personal and say, what is in the best interest of the warfighter? Does he care that you did some DNF for, thing, you know, whatever? Or does he care that you got the capability in his hand on time? And that, that really drives me for, for sure. I know uh, when I was in the F-15 program, I was on I was a, the lead PCO for the EPAWS program. And that was one of the hardest and best jobs that I ever had because we all recognized the importance of the mission. Uh, we've got an EW, uh, electronic warfare system that is obsolete. And the warfighter is taking all the risk by not having something delivered. And so we were all driving and running with scissors to try and deliver that capability to the warfighter because that was a person that mattered the most. Yeah, that's great. Well, I appreciate you guys expounding on that because, yeah, I think that it's super important to get kind of those real world stuff that that um, people need to hear. And I think, you know, it's not that you have to give, we're not trying to give them all the answers, but just getting them thinking about what was so important there. And I think that's a huge one is trust, right? And how you can build that within your teams um, to to make things happen. So we talked probably a little bit about this already, Noel, but how was the relationship you built with your functional team? Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I would say, so there's there's definitely a relationship that you need to have with all of the players on your your IPT, uh, your uh, your your team uh, with, you know, logistics and engineering and all that. But I, I think the, the most key relationship is between the program manager and the PCO, the, con- the contracting officer. You know, I have been on lots of different teams throughout my time, and I have seen a, a, a wide gamut of that, you know, healthy relationship. Was it really healthy? Were you on the same page? Or was, you know, one of you checked out. And, I, and I'm not saying this as a only, only PMs are checked out. I've, I've heard stories of PCOs who are checked out as well and, and weren't engaged as they needed to be for whatever reason. Sometimes it's, you know, bandwidth uh, that, you know, they're, they're on lots of programs or what have you. But when that relationship is, and we go back to trust, you know, if there's trust between the PM and the PCO that you're going to do what you said you were going to do and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, and, and we have the same goals in mind. You know, if we're trying to acquire some new capability, if my goal is to get the best price, but the PM's goal is to deliver it on time, uh, there's a disconnect that's not going to be successful. And so, you know, getting on that same page of, am I willing to pay a little bit more uh, so that I can get it on time? Or is price more important to me? And, and making sure that you're, 
you're on the, the same page. Uh, I, I know one of the programs that uh, Paul and I worked when we were down at Ghost together was a uh, high-speed VTOL, which is a high-speed vertical takeoff and landing. And we were, we were kind of, I won't say we were blazing a trail, but we were working a stibber effort on something. We and, and we were kind of the only people, there was what, three or four of us that were working that program and people were very interested in it, but it was just us. It was a very small team. We had a lot of trust uh, among uh, this small team to execute this and get this on contract and, and also set it up for the next ghost that would come and, and take that program over because you know, you're there for four months. And so we want to do it with excellence and set that program up so that it can be easily handed off and executed with enough next folks coming in. Yeah, and I think, Noel, you hit the, the nail on the head with respect to, to Amber's specific question. If I can, I, I'd love to expand that question just a little bit from not just the government IPT, but to the to all stakeholders, right? Anyone who can impact or, or can be impacted by the program at large. And and um, what what we noticed down at SOCOM was, was that relationship between the government and the contractor, right? And a very subtle phraseology change from, from calling them the contractor to an industry partner. I know that that might seem uh, just like a, a phraseology change and, and something minor, but it really does change the whole tenor of, of every conversation you have and your team has when you think about the contractor as a partner, an industry partner, and whether that's the, a small business, a non-traditional or a, a big, a traditional defense contractor, I think everyone down there use the term industry partner and it, and it just made your, your conversations as a PM and as a contracting officer to your uh, appropriate colleague on the other side of the aisle, uh, that much more productive and cordial and collaborative. And so that relationship was, was as, as good as I've seen in my career, uh, relationship between the government and the industry partner. And, and I really think it, it has a lot to do with just how the mindset of, of calling them an industry partner versus the contractor. So um, I, I noticed that as well. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, that, that's a good add and distinction to make that even just referring to people in a different way than maybe you're you're used to seeing them, right? I mean, even if, you know, we've been in negotiations before and stuff like that, and sometimes it can get a little back and forth, but when you're really trying to reach um, a goal together, you know, being able to address each other in the proper way to make it more of a partnership, it helps. So I'm glad you you added that for sure. All right, Paul. So what would be your advice to someone thinking of applying for the ghost program? Yeah. So let me, let me try to answer that at the practical kind of pragmatic level. And then uh, maybe Noel can hop in with some, some higher level thoughts and, and feel philosophical thoughts on, on an application. But um, as, as if, as with any job application, I always recommend people to, to reach out to somebody who is in, in that position currently or uh, just recently was in that position. And it, very easy to get a hold of, of ghosts. If you can go onto the Air Force portal, um, just search ghost and, and it will bring you to a uh, common access card protected link that can that can get you in touch with the current ghosts. And so that'd be the first step would be get in contact, see how the program uh, get in contact with the current ghost, see how the program may have evolved to what uh, Noel and I are describing today, um, but really figure out if, if this would be a good fit for you uh, prof professionally and personally at the, at, at the current time in your career. So reach out and get that first person experience would be number one. Number two, uh, if you if you do 
decide to to go to that next step and apply uh, just you'd be surprised to to hear about how many application packages show up to socom that just haven't had the attention to detail that that um, we we quite expect and so just organizing your your application package exactly how it was described in the instructions uh, putting it in a single PDF, things like that, that um, can automatically kind of get you put into a different pile if you just don't follow those simple directions. And, and it really shows some attention to detail if you if you miss some of that stuff. Um, so just have somebody proofread it, have uh, someone who potentially had some experience as a ghost or know somebody that uh, did the ghost program, have, have a friend look at it. Uh, I think that's good pragmatic advice as well. And then the last thing uh, that I think is important to the ghost experience and, and you'd want to show in your application package is just being being physically fit. So physical training PT is a big part of the ghost program. We do PT nearly every morning, uh, six six days a week. And uh, that that's in part because the, the men and women that we're supporting, they are in some very austere locations. And uh, we want to to make sure we're, we're embodying that whole airman concept and in, in showing that uh, we, we want to be fit to fight and uh, be ready if we have to, in some cases, go downrange and, and support those men and women um, right next to them. So I would say those those three things are, are all things that someone could could start literally today. Uh, reach out to somebody and, and start your application process package and then uh, just making sure that you prioritize that physical fitness and, and the physical training aspect of your life would be very helpful. Yeah, and I, that, that's, that's great. And I would also add the you know, when you do your application, it's it's a very succinct application. It's it's a one-page application, and you're trying to capture your accomplishments in a very succinct way. And it, it looks a little different between the PM uh, and the contracting officer um, application. Uh, I can I can speak to the contracting officer application a little bit better just because I went through the the experience. But they want to know what have you done because when you come down there. Uh, you're expected to go execute. So if, if you're brand new to the government, you might want to wait a couple of years and get some more experience, go see and do a lot of things. But they're looking for people who have uh, a, a particular kind of mindset, people who are willing and comfortable with thinking outside the box, uh, whether you call it, you know, outside the box or living in the gray or whatever example, you know, whatever way you want to qualify that. But uh, people who are willing to think differently about how to acquire. And anybody can say that. Anybody can say, oh, I'm an outside the box thinker. But being able to say, I'm an outside the box thinker. And here are some examples of how I used that outside the box thinking. That's really what you're trying to accomplish. You know, what did you do to accelerate the delivery schedule? What did you do to get that handshake? Um, you know, what what method or, or, or unique way did you do something to, to increase the performance or incentivize the industry partner to, to do something unique or, or interesting that, that benefited the, the warfighter? So I, I think that's, uh, that's really important that you not only say you got that mindset, but also show that. And if that's not you yet, but you're interested in this program, I think it's important that you go and do your job with excellence and be thinking outside the box. You know, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, th there's other transaction authorities, OTAs, there's other types of things out there that are not your traditional far path. Uh, go experience that, go, 
go check those out so that you can see a different way of doing things. And, and, and then you're, you have something to show when you apply say, yeah, look, look what we accomplished for the warfighter. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for expounding on that. I think that's helpful. If, you know, somebody's thinking about applying, knowing like, Hey, technically you need to make sure your package looks good and what you need to put in there and that you're conveying the message that the people that are deciding need to understand in order to choose the proper person for that position. So I think that's good. So this last question is for both of you and Noel, I'll go to you first. What are your biggest takeaways from participating in the program? Yeah, uh, I would say that when you can think outside the box, when you come back to the big Air Force, because one of the one of the things that the this program is for is to equip you and help you to see how to do things differently and then go back and execute in, I'm going to say big Air Force. I had never heard that term until I went down to SOCOM. Uh, but you know, that when you, when you have that mindset, when you have that experience to back, you're, you're going to look at things and say, do I really have to do it that way? Is there, is that necessary? Does that help? One of the things that is sometimes hard for people is you can't always have the best price and speed. Sometimes you have to choose. And I know, uh, you know, Paul and I have talked about this uh, before. And sometimes SOCOM is willing to pay more because they get things delivered in a timely manner. And I know that, you know, many of you listening to this, you know, have probably been in that, that experience where it got delivered and it was either obsolete upon delivery or, or nearly obsolete. And, you know, it just kills you. It's like, man, we just spent all that time and money and, and all this to, to get this solution. And it's kind of worthless or dead upon arrival. And so, Sometimes you have to choose that, you know, I'm going to pay a little bit more for this so that I can get this at the speed of need uh, rather than, uh, well, I got the best price and I saved X number of dollars. Um, I would also say that the traditional acquisition route, it's not always in the best interest of the warfighter. And I know that that, that could sound uh, edgy or like I'm, I'm going rogue, uh, but, you know, using the FAR, sometimes that's that's exactly what you need to do. But other times, you know, you need to be thinking about, um, you know, as we're looking at uh, near peer competition and we're looking at our, our just the environment the world is in right now. I, I think it's, I think it's known, you know, we've got, we've had several iterations of trying to improve the FAR and we haven't quite gotten there. I, I'm not sure we will just because it is a system of compliance. And so it's, it's hard to break away from a compliance mindset when you've been living in it. And that's me, I'm raising my hand, been living in a, a world of compliance. And so being able to think differently on how to acquire so that it's in the best interest of the warfighter rather than just, well, does my reviewer like my file? And have I checked all of the boxes? Not to say that, you know, obviously our reviewers are doing their job. They're doing wonderful things. And I can't tell you how many times they've pointed something out. I'm like, oh, thank you. I I didn't even think about that. I need to think about that for the delivery schedule or whatever. So don't hear that. Uh, I'm saying anything negative about those folks, but we do need to think outside the box. And that was really what I brought away from the, that experience. You know, General Brown says, uh, accelerate, change or lose. If we have a general telling us to accelerate and change, we probably ought to do that. Um, and that means we're going to do things a little differently. Yeah. And and I would just quickly add that if, if you want an opportunity 
that is laser focused on on the operator and you get to to see the the fruits of of your labor then this would be a great opportunity to apply for or if if you're not in that uh, career timeline that we talked about before i would i would seek out someone who's done the ghost program that's within your organization and and just grab a coffee with them ask them about their experience ask them how they thought outside the box and and thought critically during their time at at socom uh, so perhaps you can you can learn uh, a few different things and, and tactics that that they might have used. But the biggest thing for me was this was such a great opportunity to to see the fruits of your labor. You aren't you aren't stuck in a post milestone C uh, in sustainment program that that you oftentimes might not understand why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, th- this is an opportunity that you only not only do you learn what to do, but but also why you're doing it because you're. Your fruits of your labor, like I said, are are pretty apparent just because of the speed that that SOCOM brings to the acquisition realm. So, I uh, would urge you to apply if, if if any of that sounds appealing, or to reach out to a to an alumni of the Ghost Program to to just hear about their experience. All right, Nolan Paul, I want to thank you both for being on the podcast and sharing your Ghost perspective with the workforce. Thank you so much for having us. That was great. Yeah, yeah, had a blast. Thank you, Amber. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience Podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.